1: Hello, I'm Anne McElvoy. And this week, The Economist asks, should we prioritize poverty over climate change? We're asking that question as rescue efforts continue after the devastation of Hurricane Harvey.
0: And tonight, Houston is staggering under the destruction and human need. Several reservoirs now breached, more neighborhoods flooded, homes with water to the roof
1: line. The highest rainfall total from Harvey so far, almost 52 inches in Cedar Bayou southwest of Houston. That's already a record in the continental U.S. for any tropical system. This was of epic
0: abortion. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. There they are. are, There they are. are. Oh, my goodness. We're coming to get you. Oh, my goodness. We're coming to get you.
1: Single events like Hurricane Harvey can't directly be attributed to climate change, but a warming world is likely to exaggerate and exacerbate extreme occurrences. So where does that leave the big debate about the warming planet and what our priorities might look like? My guest today is Bjorn Lomborg, Bjorn became internationally known with his controversial and best-selling book, The Skeptical Environmentalist. Today, he's president of the Copenhagen Consensus Centre, a project that uses cost-benefit analysis to establish which policies are best for advancing global welfare. Welcome, Bjorn.
2: Hey, Anne. It's great to be here.
1: And in the studio with me is Jan Piotrowski, environment correspondent of The Economist. Hello, Jan. Hi, Anne. So let's start with climate change, because although Business Insider named you, Bjorn, as one of the 10 most respected global warming sceptics, you're not really a sceptic, am I right?
2: Oh, no, not not at all. Uh, Look, global warming is real. It is a problem. It is something we need to fix. My scepticism, I think, the the reason why people are somewhat annoyed about what we sometimes do is we keep focusing on what are the best solutions, and unfortunately, a lot of the solutions that are being advanced for global warming are not very effective. And given that we only have limited resources, we surely want to both spend money in the best possible way for climate change. But also, of course, remembering there are many, many other challenges we need to fix. And so asking generally and across the whole board, where can we actually do the most good?
1: Have you changed your view on climate change? If we go back to the Bjorn Lomborg of 10, 15 years ago. Put him beside the guy <laughs> I'm talking to now. Have your views mutated, In and if so, you know, what drove that? So
2: back then, I very clearly, in my first book, The Skeptical Environmentalist, I said, you know, I'm taking the starting point from the UN Climate Panel, the IPCC, as gospel, if you will. So I'm not a climate scientist. Uh, I'm actually a political scientist, but I work with a lot of economists. So my point is much more to talk about where can we get the biggest bang for our buck? and i think one of the problems i had back then was when you looked for instance at the kyoto treaty which was the kyoto protocol which was what we were talking about back then it was pretty expensive and it would deliver virtually no environmental benefits and that was why i was criticizing and saying look this is probably not the right place to focus but my problem back then was we didn't have a really good investment to tackle global warming. And I think that was why a lot of people felt somewhat uneasy when I said, look, if we don't have a good solution to climate change, there's so many other problems in the world, maybe we should focus on them, where we have lots of good solutions.
1: We're going to come to some of those in in a moment. So I'm just going to move you back to climate change uh, for a minute. Al Gore has just released his new film. There's always lots of pomp and circumstance around an Al Gore film, an inconvenient sequel. And in it, he argues that international agreements on cutting carbon, Kyoto, Paris Accords, are in danger, but they're still the way to go. You seem to take a slightly different tack.
2: Why? So, so we actually did one, one of our uh, prioritisation conferences uh, was called the Copenhagen Consensus for Climate, where we brought together 27 of the world's top climate economists, three Nobel laureates, looked at all the different places where you can spend dollars and help the climate so we looked at adaptation, obviously, uh, cutting carbon emissions, uh, at carbon taxes, at uh, technology transfer, at uh, geoengineering, the whole bit. And what they found was that by far the best investment was to dramatically increase investment in research and development into green energy. Fundamentally, the problem, of course, is as long as green energy is more expensive than fossil fuels, it will always be really, really hard to get people on board for cutting a lot of carbon emissions. However, if we could make green energy cheap, essentially cheaper than fossil fuels, we would have solved the problem. Everyone would switch. You wouldn't need a Paris Agreement or anything else because everyone would just do it because it was cheaper. And so our argument... But I'm for going to put you
1: on the spot then. Hang Trump. on, I'm going to put you on the spot there Please. and say, was Donald Trump then right to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreements if there are better ways to go about this? <laughs> well, I argued that potentially in, in
2: Washington Post, uh, right after uh, uh, Trump was elected, that possibly Trump could be better for climate if he stopped Paris Agreement, which is actually a very expensive way of doing almost no good for climate, and spent more money on research and development. Unfortunately, as we now know, he's decided to do neither. Uh, So no, I don't think he's better for climate, but I think we need to recognize we are not really going to fix climate as long as we continue to focus on a a process that is essentially very expensive and will deliver very few benefits.
0: You've touched on an interesting um, criticism of, of, I suppose, the approach that the Copenhagen Consensus Centre has taken. Uh, Namely, it seems here, for instance, that investing in energy uh, research is all well and good, but the outcomes of that research are extremely uncertain. Um, And uh, when you actually look at some of the other uh, best cost-benefit solutions that um, you and your colleagues have identified, it seems that very often uh, they are the solutions which do appear to bring huge potential windfalls, but are the more uncertain ones. Uh, Is it better to prioritize those or those which are perhaps less uh, beneficial at first blush, but uh, with a higher degree of certainty?
2: Well, you're you're definitely uh, addressing an important issue, and, and this is, of course, why we look across. All the different issues in the world, and say if we were only looking at, you know, spending all our money in one area, we would be a little hesitant, of if you if you will, gambling on on an uncertain outcome. But if we spend it across a wide range of areas, it's likely that we will get a lot of good outcomes. And so, in that sense, you know, uh, from an economist's point of view, we would say we want to go with the expected return. But just to uh, to 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 answer your question in the uh, in the climate change part. I think in in some way, and, and to put it very bluntly, we have tried the approach of saying let's try to do fairly expensive cuts for the last 20 years, and essentially what we have achieved is a lot of promises and very little delivery, and that's why I'm saying we really need to start looking at is there a better way forward, and remember investing in research and development is not investing in one technology it's investing across a wide range of technologies so you know there Craig Venter the guy who did the, uh, the crack the human genome back in 2000 he's working on creating an algae that will produce oil from sunlight on the ocean surface you know, it's probably uh, you know, theoretically possible, but who knows if that will be cost-effective? But there are tons of other researchers doing the exact same thing in different areas, and we really only need a few of those to
1: come through. Most of the other nations in the in the world have not been persuaded that it's the end of the road. So the 20-year argument seems to appeal to you. It also clearly appeals to to Donald Trump, but it doesn't appeal to most other countries who signed up. So they just slow on the uptake. Or do you know something they don't?
2: <laughs> well, I'm I'm not sure that it's because Donald Trump listened to this argument that he's that he's uh, uh, that he's made the decision he has. Uh, so I'm not going to take any credit or blame for that. But th- but the reality, of course, is for most politicians, tackling global warming is not actually about being in a situation where in 50 100 years we will be much better off. That is, we have lower temperatures, we have less emissions of CO2. It's much more about sounding like you're tackling this big problem. So you know that's why you have an Obama or a Merkel promising a million electric cars on the road in 2015 and 2020, and of course that's not going to happen at all. But back when you did it, it made a lot of applause. Uh, The Paris Agreement is alluring us that we will possibly be able to limit temperature rises all the way down to 1.5 degrees. But remember, all the studies show that if we actually want to get to 1.5 degrees, we will have to stop emitting uh, CO2. We basically have to stop the global economy in 2020, four years from now. And of course, the honest assessment is that is not ever going to happen. It's not even close to happening. So, if not necessarily climate
0: change, what should we be prioritizing, or what should developing countries, which is where you do most of your work, uh, be prioritizing?
2: The UN in in 2015 actually decided on a vast number of goals for the next 15 years, the so-called Sustainable Development Goals. And in that process, they asked almost 10 million people across the world, what do you want us to focus on? What are your top priorities? And interesting, and this this is very interesting, they haven't publicized it very much, and I think I kind of know why, but what came out of it was the... Vast interest from most people around the world was education, healthcare, jobs, not a non-corrupt government, and food. Those were the top five outcomes. And the last, the sixteenth, was action taken on climate change. And so it it, it emphasises you know look, you we're rich enough
1: on that then Bjorn. Sure. I mean, it could be that obviously if you're. You're asking people who aren't dealing with the science or or even the evidence on climate change every day where they put it. I'm not surprised that it's 16th, but it could be the climate change has more potential to upend progress in all of the other areas that they think are important. And that's the difficulty with this argument. If you proceed as you do and sort of invert the pecking order.
2: Yes, and, and, and I take this and I think that's a very, very good question, but, but let me also then read, read something from you that I think most people have missed in, in the UN Climate Panel Report, uh, the latest one that came out in 2014. They summarized, and this is the top summary, for most economic sectors, the impact of climate change will be small relative to pretty much everything else. So that's population, age, income, technology, relative prices, lifestyle, regulation, governance, and many other aspects of development. And so in that sense, it is absolutely true that we have this conversation in much of the West that seems to indicate global warming is the big challenge. You know, Obama and many others have been telling us this is the biggest challenge that humanity is facing. But the reality is, if you look at what's the net impact of the damage that is going to come from global warming, it is in the order of maybe 02 to 2% around the 2070s. You know, even if you have very pessimistic outcomes, it could be 3 it could be even 6% of GDP by the end of the century. But remember, most other issues, and these are the things that most people in the developing world suffer with, are much, much bigger. So lack of health, you know, tens, even 50% uh, uh, gains that we would see in GDP, education, job opportunities, nutrition. And, and this is the real kicker, that at the same time, we also have much, much cheaper and more effective ways to help people with these solutions. So my real question, and, and also a little bit to you is, do we want to tackle the hardest problem that will cost the most and that will help fairly little Or do we want to help a lot of other issues where we can do a lot more good at much lower cost first? Doesn't that create sort of political problems? If, for instance,
0: your cost-benefit analysis comes up with number 10 on on people's list being actually the most beneficial, wouldn't, for instance, the implementation be so difficult that in practice... Uh, it would be better to to prioritize what people think is most important Mm. rather than what the theoretical calculation
2: suggests is most (laughs) important. Jan, it's it's absolutely possible that that would be the case. But let me give you a a good example of this. So we just did a prioritization for Haiti. As you know, Haiti has had a lot of problems. They had an earthquake back in 2010, a devastating earthquake. They've gotten a lot of development, uh, but there's also a lot of sense of of a potentially wasted opportunity. So the Canadian uh, Development Agency wanted to look at how can we spend money in Haiti and do the most good for Haiti? The second best outcome was something that most people went, sort of, huh, I didn't know. I didn't know I had to worry about this, and I didn't know that this was a good intervention. It was wheat flour micronutrient fortification. And if you add micronutrients, and we do this very, very many places, certainly in the developed world, it's essentially like getting people a vitamin pill. That's important because almost 3 billion people lack one or two more micronutrients uh, and this could be a very cheap way to help a lot of people. Yeah, cost-benefit analysis is a, is a staple of
0: parts of policy making in the rich world. For individual projects, you 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 almost have to have a cost-benefit analysis if you want to build a dam or a road or whatever else it is that, especially public money goes to, and certainly private money goes to. Why do you think there has been such reluctance among rich world governments to embrace this
2: approach more broadly? I actually, I would challenge you a little bit on saying that this is a standard thing. It's very true that in many areas, when the politicians have decided we want to do this, somebody goes to the economist and say, can you make sure that this makes a good cost-benefit analysis? But of course, that's the wrong way to go around it. You should actually ask across all these areas, where can you do the most good for public money? And again, remember when we talk about private companies, they obviously do a private cost-benefit analysis. We rarely look across all these areas and indeed I would argue that very often we end up focusing on the things that have the most media attention instead of the things where we could do the most good Uh, for instance one good example is tuberculosis is the world's biggest infectious disease killer yet it gets very very little attention it gets about 3% of our spending on health whereas of course both uh, uh, Ebola and certainly HIV, HIV gets about 10 times as much simply because it gets much more of our attention. And my argument would be to say, maybe we should be focusing less on what gets good attention and a little bit more on what actually does the most good. It's supposed to be 70 degrees today. It's freezing here.
0: Speaking of global warming, where is we need some global warming? It's freezing.
1: I've got to ask you if you've seen Al Gore's film and uh, do you share anything into his analysis really of his inconvenient sequel or do you feel that you've parted ways long ago if you ever agreed at all? I think Al Gore
2: is, is great in the sense that I, I think every area needs someone to point out here is a big challenge. And Al Gore has been very uh, successful in making sure everyone knows about this challenge. I, I doubt that he has the best solutions. I think some some of his solutions are a little bit like, you know, these are the solutions that we've tried for 20 years and they haven't really worked. But there, m- my concern is much more with the fact that tuberculosis, as I just mentioned, and many, many others are lacking if you will, an equivalent Al Gore, people who could make us aware that. So these what about Bill Gates? He
1: puts, a lot, he puts his money into malaria, a lot of his money. You, got, you haven't told totally us anything about the film yet, by the way. I'm not letting you off the hook on that. But where, where would you, where, <laughs> so, you, if Bill Gates says, you know what, Bjorn, you come and, and uh, spend some of my money for me. What, what would you go after? Well,
2: so we we obviously talked with the Gates Foundation and Bill Gates himself I actually, I, I gave a presentation to the giving pledgers uh, a couple of months ago, the billionaires who've decided to spend at least half their money so Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and many others were in the room and I, I gave them that exact conversation that we just had uh, a, a chat about for from from Haiti, I gave them the opportunity to say where would you spend a million dollars and where do you think you could save the most lives so I showed them a picture from, from uh, a lack of urban sanitation, which kills 3,000 people in Haiti every year. Should you be spending your money there? Would you be helping people the most? There's another opportunity. Haiti, like many developing countries, is a very dangerous place, so every tenth uh, death is actually due to trauma. And if you spent money on training first responders, would that be the best way to help more people, or should it be on cholera? You know, uh, uh, Haiti got uh, involuntarily from uh, some UN troops. But you're asking cholera. a lot
1: more questions. I only asked you for a solution. And,
2: and well, but but the point, the, the the simple story I wanted to tell was then I asked them afterwards. Before you've seen the numbers, where would you want to spend your million dollars? About 40% said they wanted to spend it on on uh, on urban sanitation. About 60% on cholera. But what? But, but, but what do you is, think,
1: Bjorn? You keep citing other people's and, views. No, where no. would you spend the money? It I'm turns, Bill Gates, and I'm giving you 10 seconds.
2: It turns out that spending it on uh, for training first responders can help 10 to 100 times more people. It's not very sexy. It's not very flashy, but it helps a lot more. So it really is about getting that information to everyone. Where can you do the most good? So I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, uh, and 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 to be quite honest, you know, I'm, I'm simply collating all of these results from all of these researchers who are doing the studies. But the beauty of it is it makes it easier for us to make decisions where we spend money and do an enormous amount of good rather than just a little good. And finally, the review of Al Gore's film. So I I wrote a review before the movie came out, so I simply made a a review of his uh, trailer. I haven't seen the movie. Uh, And again, the, 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 the basic sense is he's telling us a lot of, you know, this is a terrible problem and we should basically fix it by doing Paris. And my argument is, it is a problem. It's possibly not the worst problem in the world, but certainly we should try and fix it smarter.
1: Bjorn Lomborg and Jan Piotrowski, thank you both very much for joining us today on The Economist Asks. That's just about it from this week. Let us know what you think at Economist Radio. What should governments be prioritising? Tackling climate change, healthcare or food? Where should we start trying to make the world a better place? We're at Economist Radio. You can follow me at Anne McElvoy. And if you can't squeeze your thoughts into a tweet, never fear. There is good old-fashioned email as well. Get in touch, radio at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.